Welcome to Basketball Buzz, the show that combines three great things, Kentucky basketball, college basketball, and bourbon. I'm one of your three hosts, Arizona Terry. With me are Shane Michael. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing doing good. Trying to stay sane, trying to trying to get sleep with the baby and all. And uh, it's today's her six month birthday, so it's time time really flies. I can't believe it's since six yeah. months already. Six months, yeah. <laughs> nice, happy half year. Uh, things in Denver going pretty well. Uh, nobody's playing for the Nuggets tonight, so I think we're going to take an L in Milwaukee. But there's college basketball on my TV, and there's bourbon in my cup, so all is well. There's some pretty interesting games going on right now. We might talk about those in a second. But first, I want to welcome John Perrine back onto the show. John is you know, deep in the heart of Texas tonight. He's joining Basketball Buzz again to share some knowledge. John, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, guys, you know, I've got a little short list of topics. Uh, if you want to add to the topics, please feel free to do that. We should talk about, obviously, Kentucky's winning streak we have going on right now. You know, why the cats are doing well, any kind of subtle tweaks going on with Cal and the staff, with, which is helping uh, with these wins. And let's look ahead to Kansas. You know, I think you know, we're catching Kansas in a time right now where they're, they're not looking so good. So uh, anything else you want to add, feel free to do it. Now, um, I'm going to have some bourbon. Are you guys going to have some bourbon tonight? Oh, goodbye. Dry January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, I've tried to be pretty good. Three, <laughs> uh, three and a half limited. weeks? That's respectable. That's <laughs> well, dry-ish. <laughs> dry. I think that's what I'll do for the rest of my existence is dry-ish January yeah. because, you know, I work in an industry where we have functions and at the functions we partake of alcohol. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I like somebody else paying for my bourbon. So why not? My uh, My birthday is January 19th, so I never... Never do uh, dragon. <laughs> That's non-existent in, in in this house. We'll definitely drink to that. Yeah, <laughs> hey, John, are you drinking tonight? I am just uh, Jim Beam and uh, ginger ale. Nothing major. Nice. That's one of my Classic. favorites. Bourbon and ginger, man. It's good. Good for the soul. Good for the tummy. Who wants to go first? Talk about what they're having. I'm a little bit excited about mine, and I got a glimpse of what Michael was sharing. Uh, Michael, Shay, wants to go next? Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take a turn. Um, I just opened a bottle of Oak and Eden. It is uh, the bourbon-inspired toasted oak. And uh, spoiler alert, it's good. It's mm. ninth proof. Um, it, it's got uh, the mash bill. It is an estimated mash bill. I don't know for sure, but 60% corn. 36% rye, which I'll explain in a minute, and 4% barley. It's actually distilled at MGP, which is in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Um, listeners may be familiar with that because it is a big distiller. And there are some really well-known uh, bourbons associated with MGP, including but not limited to Angel's Envy, Bullet, High West, one of my new favorites, which is Pinhook. And um, I said I'd go back to the to the rye in a minute. Um, you know, I'm not a, a huge uh, fan of rye, but MGP probably makes some of the best ryes in the world. Um, 
they're also associated with whistle pig. Um, and with probably one of my favorites when I am drinking rye is redemption. Um, uh, they also do bullets rye, um, and the angel envy rye itself. So it's, uh, it's really quality, um, uh, on the nose, there's, there's a little bit of butterscotch, uh, the vanilla and the caramel notes are always present. Uh, maybe a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of spice on the palate. Um, you get that, that buttery richness, um, that just a big mouthfeel of, of butter, which, um, I mean, frankly, tastes pretty darn good. You get a, a lot of caramel and a lot of vanilla. And I think that's really what is overpowering that 36% rye. I would have thought with the rye content as high as 36%, it was just going to be a lot of spice, too much for me. But actually, um, I think the, the spice is needed to offset some of those sweeter notes of caramel and vanilla. It's got a, a really smooth, silky finish that uh, isn't very long. Uh, it's very, very approachable, very drinkable. Um, overall, I, I love this. The, the cool part about Oak and Eden, and if you've seen a bottle, you'll know where I'm going with this, is I'm holding it up to the light right now. Um, it, there's a reason why it's called Bourbon Inspire. There's actually a spire still inside of the bourbon bottle itself, which continues that uh, that flavor process long after uh, it's actually bottled. I've had this bottle here at the house for probably uh, four or five months. I, I, I bet I bought it uh, at least four or five months ago. So this bottle may taste a little bit different than if you just go to the store and pick it up and drink it today. Um, it, it's really fantastic. And I'm going to say overall, I'm going to give this a four and a half out of five bourbon barrels. Um, also in part because it was only 50 bucks. Like it's, it's great taste, great flavor, good story. Um, and it's at a really good price point. Uh, I, I definitely recommend this four and a half out of five barrels. Wow. Wow. Very nice. I've never had it. Well, you, you got to go get it. Well, I'm going to come by. So well, here we go. I mean, get, get, you better get here in a hurry because this bottle may not last. Don't drink it all. Damn. I mean, no promises. <laughs> all right. Shay, want me to go? Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. So I am going to review Noah's Mill. So I can't tell you how many times I'd go to a liquor store and I'd see this bourbon on the shelf. I've had it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, just, you know, I'd pick it up and I'd look at it. Oh, you know, just never got it. So one day I just went to a liquor store and I couldn't find anything at all interesting. Bought it. Finally bought it. And if people can see, I put a pretty good dip in this bottle, but I've had it for a little while. Um, I really like this bourbon. It is 114 proof. So it's Woo. a little, 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 yeah. little hot. I remember that um, one. Yeah, you could. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have a couple of these. You don't remember much after that, though. It's <laughs> it's it's stout. Um, cost wise, I think this came in around fifty eight dollars. So it's, you know, it's not too bad. Like you're in that fifty to fifty eight, nine dollar range. Not too bad. This is a Willet, Willet distillery bourbon. So I didn't know it was a Willet bourbon. I had no idea until I did a little research on it. Uh, this is batch number twenty two zero three. What I love about this bourbon is it looks like a wine glass. I mean, bottle, excuse me. 
Um, it's cool looking. It's got a beautiful label on it. And the label says this batch of bourbon was aged in wooden barrels until fully mature, bottled by hand at 57.15% alcohol, 114.3 proof. Genuine bourbon whiskey handmade in the hills of Kentucky. You know, really a kind of a nice, this would be a great bourbon to give as a gift to somebody, yep. especially if they are just getting into bourbon. You know, it's not too expensive. It'd be a great little gift. So when it comes to the way this, this, you know, it tastes in the notes, a lot of oak, a lot of cinnamon, a little bit of brown sugar on the nose, tastes the same. Like you pick up on all those things. It has a, like an oaky finish in the char. You definitely get the char and tobacco. That was the things I picked up on. This is an unusual bourbon. There's not a lot of information about it. Years ago, like eh, prior to 2010, they used to put the, the the age on it. And there was bottles that were aged 15 years. Wow. So it was pretty old. Yeah. They don't do it anymore. We don't know what you're exactly getting, but you could be anywhere from a four-year to a 20-year bourbon. It could be blends of things. It's very unique. Um, it's not a very sweet bourbon. It has more of a drier side to it. So some people might not like that. Uh, my first few pours, you know, I kind of had to work my way into it, but it's one of those bourbons that if you have it over time, you appreciate it more and more. It has kind of an addictive thing about it. So I've tried to keep it around and just have a little pour here and there. You know, you know how it is. You have one or two things and uh, maybe I'll just have one more. Yep. I'll, I'll just grab the Noah's mill. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what my I demise. <laughs> I did. I did get uh, a Noah's mill as a gift before. So I definitely remember my friend getting it for me. And that's where I had it first. That's and then I bought another bottle. It's a little bit spirit forward. It's very mm -hmm. strong, but it's some good stuff. That's a good friend to give you yeah. a nice bottle of bourbon like <laughs> yeah. that. I, we we yeah, all need more like that. Yeah. yeah I, he, of course I shared it with him. So um, <laughs> they might've been a little bit of, of, yeah. uh, of influence there that's what he wanted so i always share it with the person who got it with for me seems only that's fair a, that is fair yeah you know sharing bourbon is one of the best things in life yeah. you get a chance to do Absolutely. that for sure sharing right yep all right so i'm gonna rate this four out of five it's the cost is not bad it's, it's pretty good it's unique enough it's cool enough um it's a little you know, it's a little different. So it's it's not a four and a half bourbon, but it's at least a four. But I highly recommend getting some, have it have it available, or give it as a gift. There you go. Great, awesome. So I am drinking the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked for the first Ooh. time. For the first time. For is the this, first time. Is this real? You're you're a double yeah. oak virgin. Hmm. Wow. Double oak virgin. Um, as you may know, I've been recently converted to a Woodford man from being a bullet man. I, it's not that I don't like bullet. It's just that I'm reaching for Woodford now when they're side by side, paying the premium to get the Woodford. And I, I genuinely feel like there's no looking back. <clears throat> I still have bullet in the home. going to be using it for mixed drinks and other things. But, as well uh, you should. Yep. Um, so again, Woodford Reserve from Brown Foreman uh, from Bourbon County, Kentucky. So. Kentucky's very own. 90 proof. The mash bill is about 72% corn, 18% rye, 10% malted barley. Um, it's aged in uh, virgin American white oak and then finished 
This is hence the double oak in another virgin American white oak cask. And so from the website, it's an innovative approach of a twice barreled bourbon. Uh, the second barrel is kind of charred, which gives it its additional amounts of uh, character and, and, and sweet oak uh, flavor. When you drink this bourbon, there's one thing that, in my opinion, is very, very apparent, and it is the chocolatiness of it. Um, yes. It just tastes, smells like a dark chocolate, which is a really great thing. Um, and, and, and again, it has a lot of traditional deep bourbon flavors. It is a low-proof bourbon, so it's not very spirit-forward, but there is a little bit of spice in the middle before the finish. Um, it's a very, very dark color, which is akin to it tasting like chocolate. I really enjoy it. However, I will say I, I actually prefer the regular Woodford um, more than the double oaked, uh, which is why I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five barrel rating. Not because it's not good, but because I think that the Woodford, the, the regular Woodford is fantastic, has more citrus notes. Um, I think this can be had for different all across the price range i got it for 40 i believe 38 or 40 dollars for a, a 750 ml but i know it can go all the way up to 60 50 60 so uh, if you do find it at a lower price point i would highly recommend trying it at least once but if you see it at the 60 i don't think you're missing out too much if you, if you say no um so that's what I, I feel about it i i'm sure i'll drink much of it in the future it's definitely not bad by any means i'm, I'm glad i got to try it so um yep <clears throat> I think it's, I call it the dessert bourbon because it's yep. like dessert. It's really kind of really sweet. It's dark and it does have chocolate, vanilla, caramelness to it. And uh, you, you I, know I, what? It, go go ahead. ahead. It would be you know, it's one, really great like in a, des, in a dessert form or like made into some sort of sauce or maybe you have some like flan with it or I, I don't know, mm. something that has like a more of a caramel or creme brulee. That would pair really well with it. I, I feel like that. It does not feel like it pairs well with like a food, but very much so with like a a, a, a deep, rich, caramelly dessert. So, oh, Shay, dessert. Um, I, I went to a fantastic place here in Denver called D Bar, and okay. they are their desserts, and they, they have all kinds of food, but they're they're known for their desserts, and their desserts are just absolutely freaking out uh, outstanding. One of the things you can order is a boozy shake. Oh, I yeah. Ella shake with a Woodford double oak. And it, uh, I, I mean, I almost didn't make it home. I, oh. it, was, it was that good. I got to try it. I think I, I might do something with this bottle and, and figure out a dessert I can mix it into. That, that sounds like it would, it would work perfectly. Perfectly. Your price is phenomenal. Like, if you're finding that for 38 like here... It's fifty-five bucks almost oh, wow. everywhere. Okay. That was Costco. Like, wow, that is great. Yeah. Great price. So I got it's a Costco this morning. Yeah. If, a, if you get you get a, a friend that's kind of new to bourbon, this is one I would give as a gift too. Like it's one of the first ones you get into the fifties. Try it out. Either some people don't like it at all. Some people hate it. Like I've had oh, people on twi Twitter attack me. Oh, that's garbage. I don't like it. Then I'm like, oh, I it's... like it. I had it it's not garbage night. by any means. It's it's definitely not offensive. Of all the bourbons I've tried, I I don't feel like it could offend anyone. I just feel like there's certain people it'll, it'll wow, and certain people will say, "Hey, it's good." Like me, I'm thinking it's good. Um, it doesn't wow me, but I can see other people really enjoying it. Whereas I like the more citrus forward bourbons, 
Um, this yeah. is more of a, a, a mellow uh, chocolate bourbon, but um, I can see, I can see some people really enjoying it and I don't blame them at all. For what it's worth. I've had, uh, I've had that three times this basketball season as I've watched Kentucky play. Kentucky is three and O when I drink the double oats, just, just going to throw that out there. <laughs> keep on drinking it. Yeah. yeah keep that, on. I, Jay, is that one of the weeks that you've noticed for, uh, for Kentucky is, is me drinking the right kind of bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you got to keep drinking that every game now. Yeah. I know so much pressure. Let's talk about this wedding streak. Uh, wow. It goes back to Knoxville and then Nashville. I mean, Let's talk about this. I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited to be honest with you. I don't want to get too excited because mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get like crazy. I don't want to like book a hotel room in Houston, which I did, but doesn't matter. I can always cancel it, you know, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but well, let's let's talk about it, guys. Take take the conversation and run with it, Shay and John and Michael. I'll let John go first because he's our guest. So guests always. Well, by now the viewers should know how much I love Cason Wallace. <laughs> He's 4-0 as PG1, and that's not that's not by accident either. He he knows how to win, and it frees up Reeves, Frederick, and Toppin. There you have it. <laughs> I think uh, I have spent hours this past year discussing Severe Wheeler versus Cason Wallace with everyone, and it's such a touchy subject. And I think people think it's an either-or situation, but all these guys on on Twitter, these analytics guys, I understand that there's a place for analytics. I I, I believe that wholeheartedly. There just seems to be some sort of better offensive flow when Cason Wallace is playing point guard. I think C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves are feel more comfortable on the court. Um, they feel like they can play more with a rhythm that they're going to get the ball and severe Wheeler who has his strengths try sometimes dominates the possession of the basketball. And if you've ever played basketball, sometimes you don't like playing with someone like that. Rondo used to do that, like I said, but he used to be very successful at it. He was with a group of people that it worked for. But I think when the ball moves around more, everybody's more akin to get involved. Everyone is, is wants to move around. And that seems to be what's happening with um, case Wallace as point guard. We'll talk more about the tweak that I saw that I talked to you guys about that I think is a hu- is going to make a huge difference on the team. Um, but I I really relate all the success UK is having to that. Um, and, of course, Oscar really coming into form offensively. He's still been kind of bad defensively, but I think he's limited to like one half of bad defense as compared <laughs> to the entire game. Um, so if we can get him to do it the whole game, it'll be a lot better. And and Toppin is playing w- much more assertively. And a lot of things are starting to go right for the Cats. Um, Antonio Reeves is playing really well. Um, one thing I'll say about Antonio Reeves is that I think we all need to understand, and I tweeted this, that when players step up in competition, when they transfer up, there tends to – very few of them tend to end up being huge stars um, or even very, very good at all or anything more than just bottom-of-the-bench guys. But – Keep in mind, even the ones that were good, there's usually a period of adjustment, just like a freshman. When a freshman comes in uh, to college basketball, no matter how successful they were in high school, there is some amount of adjustment to the speed and physicality of the game, specifically the SEC, because the SEC is the the league with the most men, the the league with the 
most athletes and strongest players next to the NBA. So there was going to be an adjustment. And I think you're now seeing Reeves work through that adjustment. And that's one of the reasons we'll talk later about why I think Antonio Reeves should come back to UK, because I think that he could potentially be kind of like a third team, all sec guy next year. If he decides to come back uh, because he will be comfortable and he'll know what to expect. And he'll be surrounded by other really good players. I do, do you want to uh, go, go, go ahead, John. I do want to give everyone, as everyone knows, I'm team case and Wallace, but I do want to give Wheeler credit for his play last night. I thought he got 22 minutes. I'd say 18 of those minutes were pretty, pretty good minutes. I, I wasn't too pleased with the last four minutes of the game, but you know, the game was out of hand, but I'd say for 18 of those minutes, he was very, very good last night. So I just wanted should to we, give him credit for that. Should we, should we talk about the tweak, the tweak that I saw? Sure. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I noticed this in the game and let me know guys, if you saw the same thing, but I saw a change in severe Wheeler when he was on the court. Um, one of the things about severe Wheeler is that he prefers to dribble the ball up the court through the defenders, which he's very, very good at. Very good at. I, I mean, I trust the ball in his hands to break a press, but he prefers to do that rather than pass the ball ahead. So yesterday I saw him on the transition fast breaks, pass the ball ahead, but only when Vandy wasn't trapping or pressing. When Vandy was trapping or pressing, he would dribble the ball through, but either way, he would pass the ball ahead. And then if it became a half-court offense game, he went to the wing and let Kaysen run the point. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw, guys saw that. And that was a huge change. And I was looking at the, uh, looking, um, at the game, and I was like, is, is, Wall- oh, sorry, is uh, Severe playing on the wing right now? That's, that's interesting. With him in the game, he's playing on the wing. Uh, Kaysen is playing point guard. So I think that's a huge tweak uh, that went kind of a bit unnoticed. And we saw Chris Livingston minutes at the four for the first time. Yeah. Um, first of all, I did not notice the, the tweak you're mentioning. I noticed that Severe was on the court with multiple shooters. I thought that was that was great for him, too, because sometimes he's not like that, which makes it more difficult for him. And he passed um, ahead to them, and they felt a lot more confident taking shots, and he allowed them to create a bit more. And you're seeing C.J. Frederick show more of that offensive package that he had at Iowa. I know people say he's a shooter, he's a shooter. Yes, he's a shooter, but he's also a crafty player, and he was at Iowa. Now the Big Ten is not the SEC, but he's done it in one game. He's done it in a few games here and there. He can clearly do it. He's a high IQ basketball player. Um, I want to see him release it a little quicker because I actually think he can get some of those shots off that he passes up. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to do too much complaining when he's been playing that well, but I think there's a huge benefit to getting it. It's almost like when you're a basketball player, sometimes you just need the ball in your hands a little bit to get comfortable. Um, and when the point guard dominates the ball and you only get it and then you're expected to shoot, you go cold and you're like, I haven't really gotten the rhythm. You haven't really let me get into the flow of the game. So I think that's a huge difference. I do think that uh, I do think that Wheeler, Reeves, and Frederick could be good offensively. And Cal said he wanted to see it more. On the flip side, that has a chance to be brutal defensively for Kentucky, and that's really where, in my opinion, Wheeler has struggled the most. Is his defense has just not been good this year, and definitely not as good as last year. So. While that lineup offensively can can be good, they really do need Wallace out there as much as possible on the defensive end. Yeah, I think that uh, Wheeler struggled on the perimeter defensively. 
he has not been as disruptive as I remember him being last season. He's kind of lacked that. Um, definitely have missed that. What are your What are your guys' thoughts about Cal starting Livingston instead of Reeves? Do you think it's okay? Are you wishing it would be Reeves starting the games? What are your guys' thoughts? Michael, why don't you take this one? I mean, the, the PC thought here is it doesn't matter who starts, it's who finishes. And, I mean, the, there's there's a sense in which that's true. There's also a sense in which we, we realize that that's kind of a BS answer. Like, for me, it comes down to who gets more minutes where. And I think Cal said uh, today that he wants to try to give uh, Chris more minutes at the four. Okay, like, I'm, I'm willing to see what that looks like. I'm willing to experiment there because – my perception is Chris is still trying to figure out who he is as a player. And I've seen, I've seen glimmers. I've seen spurts where like against Vandy uh, knocks down a couple threes. Like he, he's physically capable of doing some things, but I'm not really sure if he knows what he wants to do. And up until now, I'm not sure that Cal and the staff know what they want him to do. It's almost like go out there and figure it out. And the things that are good, we'll keep doing for you. The things that are bad, we'll we'll try to make sure that you don't have to do anymore. I, I'm okay with him seeing minutes at the four. Um, but I think Reeves gives Kentucky, overall, the best chance of winning. The more minutes that he gets, whether that's at a two or a three or whatever, I want to see more of Reeves because he's really coming into his own. I think Chris Livingston has the ability to do that at some point. But we may not see that this year. And unfortunately, if we don't see it this year, we may not see that at Kentucky. I think uh, I think Livingston's a very – I think he's a pretty good spot-up shooter. My issue with him, and we saw it again last night, is he can't dribble. He, he gets the ball uh, – you know, they call a jump ball because the other person – uh, the defender is stronger and, and gets to the ball. And he just, there's a couple of times, I think in the A&M game where he, he tried to get in on a, a fa- you know, a fast break opportunity and he walked with it, you know, he, he carried the ball. So I think he's a good shooter when he's, you know, spotting up, but him dribbling is not a side I want to see much more. I don't think he's a terrible at dribbling. I, I certainly think he's beyond, better than Keon Brooks, but that's a low bar. <laughs> that's a low bar for someone who constantly would dribble off their foot. But he has no wiggle, at, at least right now. It's not like a Bryce Hopkins situation where Bryce Hopkins was crafty with it. Chris Livingston is more of like a straight line player. He doesn't have like a move, a counter move, um, which is probably why he should play more four. Um, but I know why Cal plays him is because from what I notice, he gets after it defensively and he rebounds the ball. You'll always see that from him and players that play defense are probably going to play more. I want to see him be more assertive on the offensive side of the basket basketball. I think he's talented enough, even without that wiggle to get rebounds, putbacks, dirty work, um, use his frame to, to get easy bunnies. I don't expect to see it this year, maybe not ever at Kentucky, because I don't know how long he will stay at UK. And I think it's a lot to expect out of a freshman who, yes, was a five-star freshman, but was kind of known to be a long-term college player from scouts. I don't think any, any scouts expected to come in, him to come in and be like a Paolo Banchero or like 
a number one overall player guy. It was more so he was just so dominant in high school because of his size and strength. Um, and he played at Oak Hill under a great coach um, with other great players. If he stayed multiple years at UK, I think he could be really good. Um, a very solid college player is what I mean. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's going to be a role for him if he if he wants to stick it out. Uh, so we'll see. I don't have a problem with Cal starting him. I actually don't have much of a problem at all because I think Cal is starting him. And there may be some background relationships, re- other reasons outside of off of the basketball court, which may be the reason that he's playing a lot, which I'm completely okay with. As long as Reeves gets the majority of the minutes, which is what's happening right now, yeah. where, where, where Chris plays some, C. Liv plays some minutes, but Reeves is seeing the majority of the minutes. And um, if it's working, let's not move away from it, in my opinion. Jay, I think uh, I think Chris is a a prototypical complementary player. I think that's where yeah. his goes to. But the problem, as I see it, is if you're a complementary player, whatever that complement is, like you've got to be damn good at it. You you have to know what it is, and you have to to be good at it, and you have to be consistent with it. I'm not sure I know what the actual complement is to the rest of the team yet. I think that's something that he's still developing. He's he's like a very 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 poor man's Keldon Johnson, like just okay. good description. Very poor, yeah. like a very budget version of Keldon Johnson, <laughs> and he could by his junior year be a freshman Keldon Johnson, who by the way is an amazing NBA player right now and Olympian. Um, so that's not a bad basketball player if he sticks around and he if he if he stops thinking that he's uh, Devin Booker and he realizes that he's a three and D guy or, you know, um, a, a just kind of a dirty junkyard do- dog guy that will hit some threes here and there. That that will be a lot better for his development. If he realizes that that's his path. Good points. Uh, another question. Are, are you guys kind of surprised by Kentucky's toughness these last few games, like in, in Knoxville and versus A&M? I mean, I really am surprised that they, they get punched and they, they fought back. And I did not expect our, our guys to be like that. Honestly, I was completely shocked at what happened in Knoxville and they and M game. It was very physical, but this team is a lot tougher than I ever thought they'd be. Yeah. Was- you know, I'll take that. I, I think when you win, you don't really consider how, how soft or how strong you may be. Those are the kind of, that come up when you take some L's. And I think that's unfortunately where Kentucky found itself. Um, there's, there's nothing harder than an SEC road game. Doesn't matter who the opponent is. You go on the road in a conference, and especially in a conference like the SEC, and you can expect to take some punches, uh, metaphorically and maybe even literally. Um, th- that game against Texas A&M was a battle. Uh, you know, we're talking about four consecutive wins. For only the second time this season. Uh, the first time Kentucky did it, North Florida, Bellarmine, Michigan, and Yale. I mean, you know, like, who cares? But Tennessee on the road, Georgia, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt on the road. Those are four pretty impressive wins as far as I'm concerned. And the the most impressive part, I think, for me is how we got to those wins. And some of those were strong second halves, come from behind play, you know, straight up man-to-man defense and do all those things. And 
I hope that this is giving Kentucky confidence that they can take on the Kansases of the world and they can be as strong and as physical and as junkyard dog as they need to be to get the win. Um, because, you know, Kentucky went to the line one time against Kansas, against uh, Vanderbilt. They shot two free throws, one out of two. Like, that, that can't happen again. If you're going to win games against good quality opponents, you've got to go in there. You've got to beat them up. You've got to get to the line 15, 18, 20 times or more. And I expect that they're going to do that against Kansas. But, yeah, like I, I didn't know Kentucky had it in them. But now that Kentucky knows they have it in them, oh, it's on. I was That's an interesting stat, and I was frankly surprised by it. I, I It's either that Vanderbilt wasn't being aggressive enough defensively uh, which is why we didn't shoot very many free throws. And as a, as a coach or any coach, if you see a stat that, okay, our, none of our guys committed fouls, that's actually a detriment because you have fouls to give and you want to sh- be a little bit more aggressive defensively uh, and use those fouls to give. Um, and them not using it is kind of bad. But at the same time, Kentucky, not maybe they had a good shooting night and that's why they really didn't feel the need to attack the basket so aggressively. But you're right, Michael. I want to, I can't you can't see that low amount of free throws in a game ever uh, and expect to be successful against good teams. I mean, I don't know if Vandy's a great team without Liam Robbins, um, you know, but absolutely 100%. Um, I'm not super surprised by this team's toughness. I do think that they just needed to to see themselves succeed and, and, and see rewards because I do think in the beginning of the season, they played quite tough, um, especially against Michigan State. Some brutal, you know, Maddie Sissoko down there. But they didn't. They saw like them being themselves being tough, and then they didn't see any rewards from their toughness. Uh, and then it really hurt with their their confidence. And then obviously there was team turmoil. It felt like, um, you know, they weren't enjoying. They weren't having fun. And then now they're seeing, okay, if I combine being tough with a good mindset and some tweaks and adjustments by the head coach, I can actually see some rewards of my toughness. And so I think that's just really what happened. They they were learned to persevere a bit. Now I'm not saying that. Uh, you know, things can't go south again, but it's 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 definitely very, you know, a, it's a very good look moving forward if they can see that they know how to do that. Um, a great thing is that the team hasn't peaked yet. Um, a lot of other great teams have peaked and really declined. Like Kansas, they could still win, but they peaked and they've they've now come back down to earth. Texas looked like the best team I've ever like I've ever seen in college against Gonzaga <laughs> that one game. So a lot yeah. of teams have peaked, and I think right now, like Alabama's down, right? Or are they? Did they catch up? They Alabama's down. Alabama's down against Mississippi State. Auburn's down by ten. At uh, both of these games are at home against A and M. Connecticut was at one point the number one team in the nation, and they came back down to earth. So, you know, maybe it's good that we haven't peaked yet, and we're we're still improving. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I'm not overly surprised on the toughness, but I think we got to look back to the preseason when Cal made that video and almost tempered, you know, temp- tempered uh, expectations a bit. You had Oscar's injury. Frederick hadn't played in a year and a half, two years. Then he had his finger injury. Reeves was adjusting, you know, to playing in the SEC. So I think there's a couple factors there that played a part in it. I will say, though, 
I still want them to be a little tougher on offense. I want them to get to the free throw line more, specifically Taysen. I mean, how many free throws did they attempt last night? Two? Two. That's not going to, in my opinion, that's not going to work against a very, very good team. So I would like them to drive to the rim a little bit more, uh, again, specifically Taysen, because that's who he wasn't in in, uh, in high school. And to reach our ceiling, they need a little bit more out of Kaysen. He's been very solid, but he needs to step it up a little bit, in my opinion. Totally agree. Let's let's look forward to the the Kansas game. So Kansas has been <laughs> I've looked back at some of their scores in January. They have been in so many tight games and you know, they made it out of a few of them and they've recently haven't and they got absolutely stomped by TCU. Tell me about this Kansas team, guys. Are they are they decent defensively? Are they just an offensive team that tries to just outscore you? I mean, how are they going to deal with Kentucky, and how is Kentucky going to play them? Are we going to slow it down? What, what are we going to do? With, with Kansas, it's the Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick show. Uh, in my opinion, they don't have much else. The difference between them this year and last year is I don't think that they have a guard that can take the game over. Uh, Grady Dick's more of a shooter, but if you look at their guards, Dewan Harris is more of a pass first guard and then McCullers is Kevin McCuller. He's in my in my eyes been somewhat of a I don't want to say disappointment, but I thought he'd be a little bit better for him, the Texas Tech transfer. So they, they just don't have that guard that can get you a bucket this year. And I think Kentucky wins the game by five to ten points. So oh that's I mean that's very optimistic. I actually think Kentucky's going to struggle a lot because I really think that Kentucky's struggle this season against guys that are very skilled three is in force. And that's kind of what Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick are. Um, we really have to be locked in defensively and then let, and then Oscar is really has an opportunity to really eat uh, against someone that can't guard him. I mean, Ernest Uday Jr. has been. They're one of their centers, their their freshman center. He's been pretty decent as a freshman. Um, he's been better than Lively. He's been better than Adem Bona. So I mean, that, those are low bars again. But I, I really think that you know, out of the whole class, as I repeated, even though Ugo hasn't played a lot, he's the most talented guy out of all of those. So um, I I would expect to see Oscar handle a freshman quite easily. Um, but it's really up to Jacob Toppin and um, Chris Livingston and and. Maybe even consider putting uh, Kaysen Wallace on Grady Dick. Just slowing those guys down because once they get going, uh, it's going to be it's going to be trouble. Um, in terms of their guards, Dewan Harris, you know Bobby Pettiford, who I'm thinking of, who are those small guards that are really fast. I don't worry about those guys against when we have a severe wheeler. <laughs> um, so I think we have a guy that can match up with that well with them. Um, but really, it's an interesting matchup because it's it's. Two really good three fours in Grady Dick and and Jalen Wilson against a team that's got good guards and a good center. Um, it's good that Jacob Toppin is playing the best basketball right now. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, it really certainly helps that the game is at home. It didn't help Kansas last year, but 
think it, you know, Kentucky has been very good knock on wood at home. We've had just that one loss over the last two seasons. So, um, and we all know what was going on with the team during then. So um, I expect a really big crowd. I expect one of the loudest environments in Rupp with Kansas coming to town. So we definitely have a chance. I think it's going to be a tight game. Anybody's game going down to the wire. So um, See, that's kind of against, what it They played Baylor on Monday and Wilson and Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick had a pretty good game. They didn't get much from anyone else though. Oh, wow. And they, and they lost. Now Baylor had Flagler and, uh, I think Flagler and Cryer have good games. So if we can score on their defense, I, I think we win. And and I think this is a game that Severe Wheeler can have a, a big impact. He played pretty well against Kansas last year. And I I just think this Rupp crowd is going to be, it's going to be one of the best crowds we've had in a while. The 96, 97, 98 reunion uh will be uh they will be there and then uh someone uh i guess i'll name his name uh me man boy on twitter said something to the <laughs> effect of that uh one of or four or five of our recruits uh wagner bradshaw edwards uh would probably be in attendance so oh great okay so, John, you, you mentioned that this is going to be a, a Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick show. And I'll just say for the record, nobody wants to watch a Dick show. That, that they just don't. <laughs> um, I, but, you know, you asked the question, what, what does Kansas do well? They do defend pretty well. Uh, Ken Palm lists them as having the number 17 rated defense. But outside of that, like when, when you break this team down um, by the numbers, there's really not anything that stands out. I mean, I, I don't want to call them mid because at least until maybe last night, I think they were probably still a number one seed and maybe in some people's minds that they still are. Uh, they've got an absolutely brutal schedule. Brutal. Brutal. Row against seven ranked opponents and the only team that isn't ranked in those eight games, it's, it's Kentucky. So yeah. mm. absolutely brutal. But here's what I think we'll see from Kansas. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be the offense flowing through Jalen Wilson. He's one of the most used players on offense in all college basketball. Um, they know who they are. They're going to play seven. We may see eight players. But you're probably only going to have six players that are going to be double-digit minutes. You're going to get heavy, heavy minutes out of the starting five. Um, we're going to see a, a very well-coached team because, I mean, it's Bill Self. Like, this is what happens. Um, they have lost three consecutive games, and I, I think I heard Kansas under Bill Self has never lost four in a row. So, you know, maybe some of the intangibles um, go Kansas's way. Uh, again, we beat them on their home court last year. I'm sure they want to try to replicate that this year. Um, but I, I – I just don't see anything here that scares me. Like they don't necessarily shoot the ball really well. They don't necessarily hold on to the ball really well. They commit some turnovers. They commit some fouls. I just, I can't look at this team at the moment and point to one thing and say, Kansas has an absolute advantage over Kentucky in this one area. And because of that, I think they're going to win. So I do think it'll be a close game. 
Uh, again, Terry, to your point, are the Cats going to slow it down? Sure as hell, hope not. Um, I I realize that Kansas is at their best when they're playing an up-tempo game and when they're getting getting more possessions. I think the same could be said for Kentucky. So uh, I see this as a higher possession, higher scoring game. Um, I think Kentucky wins right now. Again, I go back to Ken Palm. Uh, Ken Palm is saying that Kentucky has a uh, 52% chance of winning and the predicted score is 71-70. I'll throw something out there. I'll get on the record. I think Kentucky wins 75-71. Wow. Yeah, just getting back to Kansas a little bit. Speaking of Kansas, of course, I'm in Houston, Big 12 country. And going into the year, I thought Kansas would be behind Baylor and Texas. And Baylor's had some struggles. They've had some close losses. Like Shay said, Texas was looking like the best team in the country there for a month or a month and a half. And then obviously the Chris Beard, what happened with Chris Beard, you know, that does have an effect on on that team. Sure. But I think they've I think other, you know, before this three game losing streak, I thought they've overachieved. Uh, other than Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick, I don't think there's a ton of talent on their team. And going forward, I still think they're behind Baylor because I think Baylor's backcourt is arguably the best in the country. And Kansas State, Iowa State are playing well. And you still have Texas. So I sort of agree. I I think, you know, I just think that Kentucky, you know, has an advantage here. And just think we'll win. And the score. Prediction. Give us a prediction. My score, uh, I'm going to go 81 to 73, Kentucky. Nice. All right, Shay, what's your prediction? 73 72, Kentucky. Ooh. All right, I'm going 72 64, Cats. Oscar Sheebway, MVP. You know, uh, the ESPN analytics, which I don't pay much attention to, um, believes that cats have a 65% chance of winning. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all complain about Rupp. Um, We say it's quiet. We say blah, 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 which it is. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of life in there always. This won't be a game that that falls under that category, but Kentucky has been pretty damn good at Rupp compared to other teams where, I mean, I mean, Allen Fieldhouse is the standard and obviously Cameron Indoor is really good and, couple other places are really good. Like the Moody Center, I can see being really good in the future. But Kentucky has been up there in hardest places to play statistically, even though players probably don't come in feeling intimidated. Probably because we have some old, nice people on the on the bottom part of the bowl, uh, yeah. except out of the eruption zone. So uh, that statistically, I know, Michael, you like that. Statistically, Rupp Arena is a tough place to play. Yeah, but let, can we have a conversation about that for a minute? Is- yeah, sure. Arena statistically a difficult place to play because Kentucky's teams are really good, or because it's just a, a difficult place to play. And, and let let me let me answer that question by asking a different question. So um, I think one of the most difficult places to play is Hilton Coliseum for Iowa State, but it's not because Iowa State necessarily fields great teams year in and year out. Some years they're really solid, other years they're not. 
but teams go in there and take the L because that truly is a great home court advantage. I don't know that Rupp has the same home court advantage. I think Kentucky is usually the, the best team on the court, the better team on the court, the games that they play. Does it matter? Maybe. You know, for a, for a big right. game environment, though, big yeah. game environment, Rupp is really Yeah, exactly. Tough. So this is a big game environment. I would say that it doesn't matter at the end of the day if, if it's a tough if, – if statistically it's hard to win there, whatever the reason may be, it's hard to win there. It's the ice cream. That, that's what it is. Yeah. It's the- <laughs> you know what it is? It's Matt Sack is there, yeah. and he's already <laughs> trying to rally the troops. No, really. In, in big game environments, that place is great. I've been to uh, three Kentucky-Louisville games at Rupp Arena. There's not many things better than, than that. So, If I could have been there this Saturday, I would have been there, man, because yeah. it's, it's that one game that it's just rocking. And Lexington's buzzing. And I think the Cats are going to win. And we need this win. We need, you know, keep building that resume. And this will actually, if we win, get us back to the top 25, which is what we want. Because I can't stand not being in the top 25. Drives me nuts. Yeah, I kind of don't care about that. I mean, I I think I should. But, like, different teams play. The top 25 voters are all really dumb. And it's it's really about the flavor of the week. And they it much so much matters, especially after the St. Peter's thing. Like, I hate to say it, but it's who's trending, like who's playing the best basketball at that at that moment. And I really do believe that the gap between teams in the top 25 and teams in the top 100 isn't actually that much. Like anybody can get beat, especially this year on any given night. So I would rather my team be, be trending, be starting to play well. And I'm, I'm going to just not really worry about the rankings too much. Cause I think we get really caught up in like, Oh, what are we ranked? We start arguing with Jeff Goodman on Twitter about why did you rank us here? Why did you rank <laughs> us there? It really doesn't matter. It, all that matters is who's playing well. Jeff Goodman's a moron, but that's neither here nor there. The reason why I care about the rankings is because to some extent, the rankings that we see, whether they're associated press coaches, Paul, whether it's the net rankings, like that factors into seeding come tournament time yes. and Kentucky historically just takes up the ass and I, I don't like that I, I, I want to be able to get a decent seed so the more we win now especially against these games that we're getting that are giving us opportunities for quad one wins the better we'll will be on the other side of things seeding wise and, and frankly let's let's be honest it's all about matchups like basketball is a sport of matchups and if you get stuck with a team that um, you may be a better team than, but physically you don't match up well against, that that's not going a place that I want to go to. So I want to win every game that's left on the schedule. Every game, as far as I'm concerned, is a winnable game of of some degree or another. Right now, Ken Palm projects Kentucky to be 20 and 11 on the season. And guys, that that probably isn't more than a nine or a ten seed, and we better hope that that isn't the case because historically, nine and ten seeds may win a game, may win two, but they don't make it past the first weekend. I think we'll finish better than that. I just I just feel it, and I I feel like we're going to beat Kansas. I think Bill Self is going to pull out his hairpiece right on the court, throw it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see I want to see Kentucky win an SEC tournament. 
I know Cal's like, I don't really care about this tournament. I don't really blah, 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 blah. I think a tournament setting, from my experience playing basketball, really brings a team together. You're locked in a hotel with the guys you play basketball with. You play basketball every single day. You get to be in a rhythm. You kind of don't have to worry about school that weekend. You don't worry about school. You just worry about basketball. You have fun because you're away from home. You know, I I love I used to love basketball tournaments. Um, I always played better at basketball tournaments because I felt like, okay, well, you know what? No one's watching. My family's not watching me or whoever's not watching me. I'm kind of away from the away from it all. I want to see the Cats win an SEC tournament and take that momentum going into the NCAA tournament. If they make the NCAA tournament, which I do think right now that they will. Um, Me too. So so I I want to see them prioritize that, and it will be a big statement. And you can kind of forget about what happened before before in the regular season if you win that SEC tournament. You beat Bama in the final, that would be like the best thing ever. Get redemption for that horrible performance in Tuscaloosa. And they are, which is awful. Oscar needs to do that. They are which an is awful a, matchup for us, though. Uh, yeah, that's they a are hard matchup. Yeah, they we, are. We, we we beat them last year, though, right? They Different didn't have personnel. They, they did didn't have Brandon Miller, but they had they had Charles Betty Iko, who like for some reason was like destroying Oscar this year. And last year he had, he was okay with well, it. So Oscar Oscar didn't play his best basketball last year either. Remember yeah. that game at Alabama, that might have been Damian Collins' best game at Kentucky. So Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know kills kills Oscar. I don't know if Damian this is Damian Collins this season. I, I I think it's kind of better maybe that he regroups and uh before that we play him because I think it's a detriment to keep playing him this <laughs> this year, honestly. He looks very, very hesitant out in the court. I think the rotation is getting pretty tight yeah. now, right? We're getting down to seven, yeah. eight guys, and that's what we're going to play with. And that I, I, I wish I feel like that's also helped. Uh, yeah, I agree. Success is that yeah. I thought in the beginning, Cal was playing too many players. Yeah, I, I wanted. I thought maybe at the end of Andy, we could have seen some some Adu minutes, some Ugo minutes, but I'm surprised we didn't. But okay, it is what it is. They're, those guys will, I hope, and I expect, be back next year. Ugo is going to be a, a focal piece moving forward. So, um, and Adu is better than advertised. So, yeah, it's just a question of minutes for him. I agree, hey, guys. It's been a good show. I mean, I think we talk a lot of, of hoops. We all feel like we got a good chance of beating Kansas. We talked about the different little tweaks. Um, anything else you want to close with before we go? Just that I'm uh, excited that we we are recording again a lot. I know there was a lot of depression in the middle, uh, so thank you for bearing with us. But um, those of you guys who are listening, uh, we have some exciting guests that we're going to have coming up. Uh, not that you're not exciting, John. You're very exciting. <laughs> but we 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 we've I've been doing some networking, and so um, I want I don't want to say who just yet, but we have some exciting guests that are going to talk about bourbon. They're going to talk about um, some of the draft. NBA potentials of some of the Kentucky teams, the Kentucky players that we have right now and uh, guys that are coming in and some of the other guys that we're in group chats with that are that maybe one of them who was the uh, won the ball knower tournament. Maybe we'll have him on. So just saying. <laughs> nice. No, John, John, thank you for coming on the show, John. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. And where can everybody find you on social media? Got to make sure we get that plug in. At Perrine Stewart, P-E-R-R-I-N-E, Stewart with a W, S-T, 
E-W-A-R-T. And you can always find me at Arizona T-Y-J-O on Twitter. And we do have our new uh, podcast Twitter account at B-Ball Buzz Pod. Shane Michael, where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at A-Bobsar. That's A-B-H-A-V-S-A-R. Um, again, I'm out here in sunny Southern California. That's been rainy, sunny, su- rainy Southern California for the past few weeks. So And cold, but uh, hoping to get some good weather coming in. So thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Shay, cold, uh, I ain't buying it. Uh, I, I ain't buying cold. <laughs> <laughs> so cold in, uh, you can find me at MG Simmons 5280. That's at MGSIMMONS 5280 in the Mile High City, home of the Western Conference leading Denver Nuggets. <laughs> nice. As always, we appreciate your support. And until next episode, keep sipping bourbon and go, cats. 